What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we are doing a deep dive on Tesla's battery day and the 4680 cell Celta structure. I've got the legendary battery YouTuber, uh, the limiting factor on the line. What's up, Jordan? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So you are, uh, you know, we collabed uh, pre-battery day. I was listening to it before this, and it was like, you were so on point. I think, you know, Drew Baglino, the, C the basically CTO of Tesla, just joined Twitter. He follows eight people, um, only one YouTuber, and it's you. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because your battery videos were so on point, and you actually basically predicted that larger cell form factor, not only that they were going to do this larger cell, but that the tablets breakthrough would allow them to have a larger cell, and that's exactly what they announced. So I'm, I'm so pumped to, like, pick your brain and talk about it so as elon said battery day was mind-blowing i think all of us are still trying to get our heads around what they announced because first there's all the technical technical depth that they went into but there's also they covered so many things that each one of those things could be considered a breakthrough and it's like well how do you uh how do you rationalize all these things at once you just you just can't so i mean we have about an hour for this interview but it could easily uh, we could take up a, a lot more time than that. Yeah, and like you said, uh, Tesla really showed us from lithium mine to battery line innovations. That's all I got from one of your videos uh, watching the recap. But uh, just off the bat, how surprised were you that they got into the cathode uh, production and mining? Because I, that to me was my biggest off the bat surprise was like, whoa, they vertically integrated even more than I had, uh, was expecting. That was a big surprise for me. I. I considered it a remote possibility, but the fact that they're so far along with it and they've clearly been working on it for several years is just, um, what's happening now with the Roadrunner line is they're producing these batteries so quickly that they're getting down to the materials cost of the battery. Well, the only way that you can keep making batteries cheaper is when you start reducing the materials cost itself. So they're, it shows you how far along they are. Yeah, and that's really a, a great point to kind of jump off is I thought it was really interesting at slide with like nickel, uh, nickel manganese and iron phosphate and show this kind of like uh, kind of diversified approach, but all based on that same cell. Is that kind of what you were expecting? I was hoping that they would eventually get into lithium iron phosphate batteries. I've looked into that a little bit and there's a lot of patents around lithium iron phosphate that are starting to... Um, you know, the patents, the enforcement on those patents is ending, so they should be able to get into lithium iron phosphate. Uh, that's some, not something I've done a deep dive on, but it was something that I, I was hoping was in the near future. Now, as far as the nickel manganese, that threw me for a loop because after the battery day presentation, that's one of the first things that I furiously started researching. It's like, well, can you just change the amount of manganese in the battery and swap it out with some nickel? Is it that simple? And it looks like it is that simple. And if they can do that, manganese is a whole lot cheaper. You're going to get lower energy density batteries, but I mean, the energy density of their batteries is no longer the limiting factor. Uh, the limiting factor is the cost of the batteries. And that's what I saw overall at battery day was this ruthless, ruthless focus on reducing the cost of the batteries and the power. Yeah. And it's so funny that they've gotten it down to that first principles level. And that's why I think the iron phosphate is so interesting because they, like you said, like they've reached that critical massive range. Now it's like, well, this iron is way, way cheaper. So it's going to be better for like a mega pack kind of situation where you don't need space or maybe the model two, uh, which is what I'm calling the $25,000 car that they kind of unveiled, which to me was like, 
the kind of puzzle piece tying this all together, which is like, okay, it's all this deep tech. What does it really matter? It means that we're going to come out with an even cheaper car with just as good specs, you know, three to four years from now. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm really pumped. Was what, what did you think about that? What they were saying about that Model Two and that that veiled car? The Model Two is something that, uh, and in one of my earlier videos, I predicted that we'd get a Model Two in a few years. But I think I don't think that was a terribly um, earth-shattering uh, guess because I think it's something that Elon might have mentioned in the past. Definitely, it's cool to just see that it's on the roadmap now. Because it was kind of like, how are we going to get there? And to me, it's almost like Panasonic wouldn't, the tech wouldn't have moved fast enough with Panasonic for them to actually come out with that product. There's only way they would have pushed the battery tech to get it cheap enough and efficient enough was if Tesla did this whole reinvention um, of, of what it was. And actually, the, the very interesting thing was the Celta structure. That was another thing that I kind of caught me off guard even more than Celta pack. And the way it's a structural part of the car and specifically elon's comments about how if you don't have that cell to structure kind of thing you're going to be like uncompetitive like those airplane wings that didn't have the structure are uncompetitive so my theory is like you know tesla's putting in these chips in place to literally like make the model y the car that i'm driving around my new model y's battery is just totally irrelevant um with this whole new cell to structure thing uh, so i'm curious if we could dive into the cell to structure kind of yeah, that's that's more of a, a Sandy Monroe thing. That's something that he predicted. It, it is something I've been looking into. But I mean, it, once again, it comes down to the fact that uh, their battery technology is great. It's um, they're looking at the, the vehicle now as uh, an entire unified product, which Tesla has been doing from the beginning. But it's all, all these years of research that they've been putting in is finally coming to fruition. You can't just make uh, sell the structure within a couple of years. This is probably something they've been working for a while, putting in mm. place the casting and developing the alloys to make the casting, to make the structural battery, uh, battery that the individual cells go into. And as I think you've mentioned in your previous video, the, the significance of that $25,000 vehicle is this is truly democratizing the electric vehicle and making something that's, um, available to the masses, which is good for the public. And it's also good for a shareholder if you're interested in gobbling up more market share and increasing margins. And so, yeah. And it seems like the thing that enabled that was something that you really pinpointed in your videos, which was that tabless electrode patent, which Elon made that tweet was like, this is very important. And like, nobody paid attention except for you pretty much. And it turned out to be very important. But, and that seemed like the breakthrough that allowed you to predict the form factor uh right so you know what so was it was it how you expected um you know that bigger cell with the tablet electrode is that kind of because you were you actually predicted the bigger cell and so i'm i'm so curious if it like what yeah you know, was different than what you were expecting originally i thought the the bigger cell made sense when i found out that maxwell technology um allows you to create a cell that generates less heat. However, there was something there that was missing. There's a, a gap that needed to be filled in the engineering space to be able to more effectively cool those batteries, even with the advancements of dry battery electrode. And then the day that Elon made that comment, I was like, yes, this is what I need because, you know, uh, I made a diagram of our, there's these three things that you have to balance when you're looking at the, the thermal characteristics of the cell. And the only way to um, get around those first principles limiting factors is to actually shrink that triangle. And that's what the tabless electrode does. That I didn't realize that little tiny wire coming out of all the batteries, like it seems like such a simple breakthrough. And then that's like the tabless electrode, it's like the whole thing is the wire. 
right? Kind of, or it allows it to, to cool or transmit electricity. Like, can you talk a little bit about that breakthrough? Because that seems like what Panasonic, all these experts in the industry are still doing this tiny little, you know, attachment thing that breaks and is the source of all the problems. And you take a step back, you're like, of course, you know, and Tesla got rid of that. And then that like simplification, like seemed to unlock everything with the design process. And so, you know, like, why can't anyone, like, why can't Panasonic do that? That's a good question. I, I don't know the specific engineering challenges that they faced, but um, typically with a tab cell, and people have pointed out that the tabless electrode is kind of a misnomer because it's actually more of a continuous tab. It's one giant tab across the entire battery. Yeah, it's like a mega tab. And it's so interesting because when I was on the floor, mm -hmm. like getting the factory tour or like the cell production line tour, like so the tab is like this little piece of metal that connects. But when you look at what they're doing with the, the way they're rolling it, it's like there's all, and you look at the, the circle picture like this, which I'll show, and you see all these like kind of like copper looking things. It's almost like those are all the little wires, except you have like a gazillion of them and they're all connected, you know, right on the plate there. And so it just seems like such a more efficient process. I think what they ran into with that is probably, if you notice, like the top of that cell, when you look at it, it's almost artwork. It's so beautifully laser patterned and cut. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's something that you want to put on your wall in the frame because it's, 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 it's gorgeous. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been to like uh, an Air Force Museum and looked at like some of the jet engines, like an F-22 Raptor engine. It has those types of beautiful, perfectly angled cuts and complex wow. cuts. And that's what, I, that's what I think of when I see the tabless electrode itself. In order to make those... Um, as Drew said on Battery Day, even in their, their testing of the production of these cells, they've produced thousands of kilometers of this material. How hard is it to laser pattern thousands of kilometers of material, literally, and then to roll that up and get it to make that perfect shape every single time, and then to get it to connect without a, a weld perfectly every time? I think that's what people are running into, uh, the difficulty that they're running to manufacturing that and why Tesla was able to do it. So it's an engineering problem. And it sounds like they were commenting about yield kind of being the biggest holdup. So it's like, that's exactly what you're saying is kind of like getting all those perfectly micro little layers of that foil basically laid down correctly to maximize that, you know, flow of power or whatever. And that seems to be like the real refinement right now. Yeah, that's, that would be part of the yield because um, just below the tabless electrode, just before you fold it, there's an edge that has to be a perfectly clean edge. And if you look closely at the battery day slides at uh, their earlier versions of the DBE line, you can see this really ragged, jagged uh, edge, which you'd e either have to trim off or you'd have to design the machine to, create it to get it to create that perfectly even edge in the first place. And what you're saying about uh, the tolerances, the cathode thickness, for instance, in a battery is about the width of a human hair. If that is one, uh, and which is about 50 to 60 microns, if that is one micron off, that results in a difference in battery capacity of about, you know, 2%. And you can't have every oh vehicle God. coming off the line with like 2%. So in order to manufacturing, ma manufacture things at the micron level, you have to have nanometer level tolerances on things, which you're getting down to the atomic level. And once again, you're spitting out kilometers of this material. That is hard. And I think it's something people don't fully appreciate and something that I try to illustrate on the channel. 
Yeah. And something that was so interesting is like the machine that builds the machine that builds the machine or what Elon was talking about and how, you know, it's so much of uh, like instead of like buying from a supplier catalog and just running your thing through it, like Tesla's actually even making the equipment with their Groman engineering company to even produce these lines. And that's something they talked about was like we're on version, you know, six or seven or something every three to four months. We have the new cadence. Uh, you know, that seems to be a lot of, you know, how much of this tech is enabled by, by their own production equipment, because that seems to be a big part of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, I don't know if you've heard this story, but uh, when Tesla was first getting machines in from their suppliers, they'd run the machine so hard that the machine would break. They'd send it back to the supplier <laughs> and they'd say, this is how you make your machine better. And like, of course, Tesla was pretty small potatoes at that time, but now Tesla has their own machine shop to make these machines and they can not only uh, design them better in the first place, then they can push those machines until they break <laughs> and make those even better because that's the way Elon thinks. What is, what's the point the machine's gonna break? What is, and that's part of the reason why I called the channel the limiting factor. You hit the limiting factor, that's the thing you have to solve. You push it harder again, then you solve the next thing. Wow. And I have some questions for you about what you saw on that battery line. Uh, did they actually yeah. show you, show those uh, tabs being folded? Uh, did they show you that part of the factory? Uh, oh, man, it was kind of like a blur. Like, there was so much at once. Like, w w when you say folded, what do you mean? Okay, so when the, the tab, when these rolls come off the line, they're coming off on a perfect roll, and then you're going to have uh, kind of like a, the toilet paper roll, except there'd be a whole bunch of different cuts in it from the laser patterning. But what they do is they probably stamp it or crush it in some way in order to get those tabs to, to fold down. Oh, and that's that beautiful picture that we see like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's those straight up and down tabs that have been folded down. Uh, to be honest, I don't know, I don't, I can't remember. I don't okay. remember how they do it. But I, I, I remember like being very impressed with this idea that like it's not it's like humans operating machines which sounds very simple but like the degree of separation from humans to this process was really mind-blowing like it's basically like you have like a team of like eight people basically like watching like a rocket launch you know what i mean and they're just all the machine with glass like nobody's actually touching a single thing not even close they're just monitoring all this equipment so i don't know if that helps give you some insight but um i just thought that was you know the level of robotics and how they built their own like kind of Tesla power systems, which I didn't fully understand as well to maybe like test the batteries or something. Um, but there's so many layers of innovation. Like part of me is like, man, is this, can they actually take this from the lab to a car this quickly? Um, Cause it seems like it's not ready to be in a car yet. And I don't know, that's kind of like one thing I've grappled with a lot. It's like, are Drew and Elon too confident about commercializing this? Or are they downplaying how fast they're gonna commercialize it? Cause they don't want an Osborne effect. I think it's, um they gave the, the most accurate assessment they could possibly give. I don't think they're sandbagging it and I don't think they're overhyping it based on what they've said. And that was a key thing that I think was missed in the presentation that uh, Drew said that they produced thousands of kilometers of material. That was significant for me because I was looking at Maxwell's material from 2012 and they were struggling to produce, you know, two to 300, th two to 300 meters of material uh, without running into an issue. But if they can wow. produce, you know, thousands of kilometers without running into an issue, yeah, I even if the yield rate is low, if your cells are 50% the cost of anybody else's, that gives you a lot of um, room to play with. And it's also, Elon said that they have a clear path to uh, 
the solution and a finished product. They just need to work through the iterations. This is exactly what we're seeing with Starship out, um, out in the field in Texas, where they go, all right, this is SN7, SN8, and they have versions up to SN50. And because you can't change, you don't want to change too many things at once. You want to methodically work through each change and uh, implement them so you can see exactly what it affects. Uh, and that's exactly what I think they're doing. Let's try this next. The next thing is this. And then we'll get to something. And I think there is a clear path to having a, a production machine next year. Wow. And would you, would you, is anyone on your radar doing something similar to this? Because it seems so radically like, you know, is there another battery startup that's coming in to try and outcompete Panasonic? Is there, is there anyone else? Because I know you follow a lot of this battery, even in academia. Like, I'm wondering what the closest thing to this is. Once again, they showed us so much at Battery Day. It's you'd have to look at the the individual projects that they're working on. But I've seen every pro everything that they showed in Battery Day. Uh, there is examples in academia of what they've done. However, there's a big leap from the lab to actually get it to yeah. get it to and production Tesla scale. Seems to be the one to actually do the leap. So that's what I'm. That's where I'm, I guess the crux of my question is: is like. Is it too good to be true that that leap's going to happen? Because that's, you know, like Panasonic's been doing this for 30 years. And in 10 years, Tesla's like, okay, we learned how to do it like you. And we, we're going to reinvent all that and do it better. And we're actually not even going to do that just on paper like everyone else does. But we're actually going to put it in 10 times as many cars as you put your old tech into. And so yeah. I'm like, okay, and you're planning to scale 100 gigawatt hours in 2022. I cannot find anybody talking about this stat, but it's the only stat from Battery Day that I really care about. How fast are you going to scale the production of these 4680s, right? And they say 100 gigawatt hours. Like, like that's triple what they have. You got to verify my math on that. That's triple what they have today with 500,000 cars. I mean, this is an like, this is so far beyond uh, pilot plan at that level. Yeah, it's huge. It, it's far beyond my estimates. And it's... One question that I would have for Elon and Drew is when you said 100 gigawatt hours, were you saying that you're going to produce 100 cells a year? You're going to install 100 gigawatt hours of capacity? Or uh, by the end of the year, you want to hit 100 gigawatt hour run rate? Because That one, when... third one, <laughs> is my guess. Yeah, because otherwise it's like, there's no way. There's no way they could do 100 in 2022 that are going into cars. That's just... Yeah, yeah. where did they get all the materials for that? That's my thing. It's like, not only how are you going to, they, they clearly have the machine to do that now, but where are they going to get all, all the materials? Is, is that the limiting factor? At my, in my view, that is the limiting factor at this point, is uh, you have this beast of a machine. How, because, for instance, every one of these machines, these dry battery electric machines, if they're producing uh, 20 gigawatt hours of cells a year, you're going to have to dump a semi-load of material into that, into that machine every single day. One entire semi-load of material... <laughs> into this tiny little machine every single day. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. So yeah, uh, the raw materials, I think that's, that's going to start to be a bottleneck in the next three to four years. And I think that's why Tesla's getting into it earlier than I even thought, because I yeah. thought maybe eventually they would get into it. But uh, if you're going to be targeting 100 gigawatt hours a year in 2022, you have to start lining up material because there's going to be a shortage between like 2023 and 2025. And when, when you see sort shortage, what is what comes to your brain as the first kind of roadblock? I have a feeling Elon is focused on nickel for a reason. Uh, 
that that's what he's brought up in the past. So I think nickel is their first concern. They clearly have designs for lithium. They both have um, like hard rock deposits out of like, I think it's Piedmont lithium. It's in North Carolina or something like that. And those, those types of deposits can scale up. Uh, the flow sheet for producing lithium from those types of mines is, fair, is well established, which is kind of why it's the preferred thing to, to use at the moment. Moving into the clay resources, I think that's further off. I think we're looking at three, five, seven years before they, they master that. And I do think that it may be as simple as Elon said with just adding salt to clay. But that's, wow. that's an entirely different discussion. There are you know, fish, fish hooks there that need to be solved. But uh, I think what they were saying, I found information to support that you could build a process that was basically that. So, so what did you find there? Because it's almost like, okay, this is how we do lithium from the normal way. Here's a new super innovative way. And that's the way Tesla's grabbing onto and kind of like, we'll just R&D through it. And, mm -hmm. you know, so what, you know, you actually think this, this might work. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different factors to it. First, you have to find a clay deposit that has the right characteristics because it's not every clay deposit where you can just flush it with some salt water and have the, uh, the lithium pop out. It has to be willing to give up that lithium when you flush it with, a, flush it with the salt water. Um, there are other ways to get, many other ways to get lithium out of clay, but the salt seems like the lowest impact. And I still need to look into this further. I want to develop my own flow sheet as to the way that I think Tesla is going to do that. But in my mind, the simplest way to do it would be to flush that clay with salt. The lithium pops out, you have the solution of uh, lithium and uh, table salt, and then you run that through like, uh, like a direct lithium extraction process. Uh, it's basically a membrane filter where you uh, suck the lithium ions out. I think that would be the simplest way to do it. That's something that could be done at room temperature, so you wouldn't need huge amounts of heat and energy to run the process. And it would also be more um, efficient in terms of water usage because this deposit is in the desert. You want to be very water efficient. This is hmm. still something I'm looking into, so um, uh, keep your ears peeled. <laughs> No, this is such fascinating, like, uh, you know, tidbits on this topic. And I'm wondering why Elon said, like, they shouldn't even be called lithium ion batteries because there's not even that much lithium in it. Like, there's plenty of lithium in the world. We don't need lithium. So it's interesting that they're mining lithium first, not nickel. If they need nickel, maybe it's because it's easier to m get this lithium done and there's still a lot of ways to improve it from their current lithium supply. That's kind of something I'm wondering of, like, they keep saying lithium's the one thing we don't really care about. We have plenty of. So why is that the thing they're mining? It could I must be, not be. I'm missing something, you know? Somebody had an interesting theory that Tesla, uh, there's actually one company that's spun, uh, spun out by some uh, former Tesla employees where they were working on recycling processes for batteries. And they were using uh, you know, this, these types of filtration systems to pull the lithium out of the recycled material. So it could be an outgrowth of their exploration into recycling where they go, okay, well, you know, this thing that we could use for recycling, we could also use it to just filter salt water and clay to pull the lithium out. So it could have just been uh, a natural synergy and it could have just been they, um, the right opportunity popped up. Whereas hmm. the nickel, then maybe uh, that's more heavy duty mining when you're getting into nickel versus extracting uh, lithium from clay. That's, and, you know. Yeah, and, and, and 
let's let's go on that you know we've heard like indonesia rumors i, I don't know uh you yeah. know but so so nickel's harder to get though you can't just buy know. some clay and put some salt on it and we're just <laughs> you know we got nickel too like yeah well if tesla has an obvious uh process that's environmentally friendly that they can use for lithium yeah if uh basically they have a hammer and they're looking for the nail um whereas with nickel i i don't know enough about it that would be Yvonne from the EV Stock Channel does a really good job covering these things, and he's developing some deep connections within uh, the mining industry. And uh, he also speaks quite a bit with uh, Rodney and Howard of RK Equity, which are deep into uh, the mining business and actually partner with these companies. So um, they're a good resource as well. So I don't have a, a deep depth of knowledge here, but I saw an obvious synergy between Tesla and doing their own lithium production. Yeah, and it's he's an awesome channel. So I, he's like always got fascinating stuff. Um, and I'm I'm curious, like, how much of this is the boring company? Do you think about that at all? Because if you're going to automate tunnel drilling, is that not very similar to mining equipment? And they're electrifying it. And so if I was going to get into heavier duty or mining, like nickel, you know, I just have this weird feeling. There's such low innovation in the mining industry for so long, and it's so just archaic the way everything works that Tesla, for better or worse their engineering hubris is saying, we're going to be able to do all of this 10 times better. And they're probably right for a lot of it. But the question is then what hiccups do you run into? You know, are all these mining moonshots going to materialize before the limiting factor occurs? And, or, you know, how does that timing all work out? Um, and that maybe that's some, I'm curious, you have a take on, you know, is this, is the mining, is, is the, the raw materials, the spice must flow? Is that an issue at 4 million units a year? Or is that an issue at a million units a year? You know, how, cause to me, I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. But I'm like, you know what? I think Tesla scales to 5 million units a year without even needing their own things. May probably if they just push the supply chain, but I don't know. I, I'm just totally guessing. So. Yeah. I, I don't know what point they hit that because it's a moving target. It's, you have these two uh exponential curves you have the growth of the mining industry and you have the, the growth of tesla's factories and as elon said like half a year difference between an, an exponential curve well that's a difference of you know you can be uh off by double so i mean um if tesla scales as as quickly as they're indicating they might hit that limit real quick but if they hit some speed bumps then the mining industry might be able to uh, do a better job of keeping up with their scaling and you also brought up the point of why isn't legacy mining doing these things? Well, mm -hmm. there's Tesla has the imperative and they, they don't suffer from uh, the innovator's dilemma. I was watching an interview that uh, Howard was doing, uh, Howard from RK Equity with um, somebody who specializes in mining. Established mining industry players, they have their preferred processes that they use. And if it's when they open a new mine, it's just cut and paste. There's no innovation. There's no incentive there for them to innovate. Whereas Tesla, they don't have an established flow sheet. Um, they're, they're working from square one. So for them, it's as difficult to use one of these cooker cookie cutter processes that the major industry players use as it is to develop their own new process. So for them, it's like, well, why don't we just use this new process that's environmentally friendly because for us that's just as hard to achieve as it is to uh, use anything else else that the industry is doing because we're building this from zero wow and, and what's the um what's the cathode production because that's maybe just like a battery primer 101 of like what is the cathode and you know why would tesla get into that as well there's a few different facets to that there's 
and this goes all the way back through the supply chain to how you mine the material. Because when you mine these nickel materials, when you mine lithium, it produces certain types of end products depending on which process you use. If you design your process to consume materials that are easier and cheaper to produce, then uh, it gives you a cost advantage there. And then you can also build your cathode production system um, in a simplified way to make it even cheaper beyond that. A good example of this is Elon was talking about they dig the ditch, they refill the dig, ditch, etc. Yeah, I love that analogy. Yeah. And what's happening there is a lot of these mines will pull a, a chemical out of the material, uh, they'll uh, convert it to a sulfate product, and that, that's what was available on the product for, that was what was available on the market for uh, cathode producers. When you receive that sulfate product as a cathode producer, you then have to convert it back into something else in order to make the cathode material. So why don't we just take those extra steps out? And the way you do that is, you know, get the miners to produce the correct material and then design the flow sheet in your cathode to um, use that, that same material. So it's like, Dude. <clears throat> yeah, it's like if you have a computer, like you have two computers and you want to hook them up together. It's like adding an adapter on this end and adding an adapter on this end to get those two computers to work together. Why don't you just design a common cable, a common interface where those two computers are, you know, basically speaking yep. the same language. Yeah. I'm like freaking out because I'm. This is clicking with when I got the after the tour. I got to like ask Drew a couple questions, and they were talking about like um, the the innovations on this. And it was like, well, the, imagine if you like bottled a bottle of water and then like put it in a bottle, sealed it, put all this effort to put it in the bottle, shipped it around the world, and then they open the bottle and use it instead of just having a pipe that just sends the water. And so by vertically integrating, they're like it's it's like all these it was like the wrong processes because the organization's groups were in like these buckets and they were just moving to one bucket another like all these different organizations super archaic nobody was thinking from a first principles approach and so it seems like almost just this like kind of process innovation was like half of the breakthrough on the cathode thing and then the, the part that i love also is it's not in china everything else was in china like you're sending this thing to to go get process in china and then shipping it back and it's like wow if we can just do it in the us and save that shipping time and cost that seems like that's a huge win there too and so it's so like unpacking this is so so fascinating yeah yeah there's uh <laughs> The current battery industry is the ugly baby of a lot of industries that uh, found ways to work together, but it wasn't designed from the beginning. It wasn't designed from the beginning to be thought of as an end-to-end -end process, and that's what Tesla is doing. Because they have this extremely wide footprint spanning the entire uh, lithium mine to battery line, they can uh, look at the whole process and go, oh God, this is stupid, this is stupid, this is stupid. Let's smooth this all out. And what I was saying about uh, you know, those mined resources that are going into batteries, if they can switch the type of nickel that they're being used, that alone can reduce the cost of their raw materials for nickel by something like 30% just by using a cheaper nickel. Uh, they're buying a more expensive nickel that they didn't even need in the first place and converting it back into something else uh, to create a finished product. So anyhow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The, the bottling machine inspiration was very, very interesting. The way that um, they showed the like, the like perfecting this like super automated like kind of thing that over decades and decades they're perfect these uh, factories and they were using that as inspiration for the team.
And it was so cool to see that. And then how Elon even reiterated on the conference call, like our true, you know, a, a competitive edge long-term is really going to be our ma ability to manufacture these cells, not, not even just have them. And so I've been trying to think a lot about that. Like the machine that builds the machine that builds the machine seems to be so much of that secret sauce and like that crazy continuous motion assembly video, um, the reduction of CapEx, like, um, I don't know. I'm just really, I'm really curious, like how much kind of like, it seems like it's all just tiny incremental improvements from here. Like they already kind of have a cell that works coming at the other end. And now it's just about these tiny little micro tweaks to all the phases of this machinery. And then to perfect that yield or that, that outgoing cell. And that's kind of this, this one to two year process of refinement that's going to occur. They've eaten an elephant in one sitting. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time to digest that. And everything that they built here, it's going to be a matter of refinement for the next couple of years. And then we, we might not see any huge innovations from the battery side for a while, but they don't really need to. Um, I'm sure they will continue to do that, but <clears throat> there are some aspects of the battery day presentation where I was thinking to myself, okay, this is going to take a little bit longer than uh, what they're uh, indicating here. The primary thing was the extracting lithium from clay. I'm sure they can do that. I'm sure that they have a process in mind. But I, that, as I said, that's, you know, you're looking probably later this decade where they're going to have something for that. The other thing was the high loaded silicon anode. There's a lot of different facets to making that high loaded silicon anode work. Everything that they presented at Battery Day was well known in the research community, coating silicon with, with polymer. It's finding a way to get that to work is the hard part of it. That expansion, and, the priced in 20% expansion, to me that seemed yeah. like, okay, like, okay, so everyone knows that that could have happened and nobody's done it because it's probably really hard to finesse that perfect expansion. And yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly. They've put a coating on the silicon. And over the top of that uh, polymer coating, there's a, a protective layer that forms when the battery uh, is cycled for the first few times. And that when that protective coating forms, it's made of lithium from the battery. And because that still expands and contracts a huge amount, it's still going to grab uh, a lot of lithium out of solution. So you might have a high loaded silicon battery and it might give you a huge boost in energy density but after you cycle it for the first time at the factory, it's going to reduce those gains that you got from that high-loaded silicon anode. So you have to make up for that in different ways by, for instance, doping extra lithium into the battery. So when that uh, silicon starts absorbing lithium out of solution, uh, the uh, I think this is too complex for people. We're getting too technical. Are we getting too technical? All right. Yeah, we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, this is... Uh, this is really interesting because, you know, it's, it's so, so technical, this silicon anode thing, but it's like, to me, these are the kind of parts where they gloss over. I'm like, okay, maybe you can get this to work at the cell that you run all the tests on, but like putting this in a car and then having it be in Norway for the whole winter or Arizona for the whole summer. And then like somebody gets dinged on the side. So the whole structure of the pack gets indented. Like, I don't know, I'm kind of in my head just as like really knowing nothing about this, thinking that there's like a gazillion things that could possibly go wrong with like that Panasonic cell is just that I have my Model Y, the 2170 is just such a reliable workhorse. And it's like so much of decades of just micro perfection has gone into making it so reliable in every weather. They put a million cars on the road with this tech. They know how to do it. Like part of me just feels like 
this is, you know, Elon Musk just tweeted me the CapEx was trash in 2017 on the vehicle production ramp. They had no idea what they were doing. They way overbought too much equipment. Um, I mean, they actually did fine and they've learned and improved and are now the world world's leading best vehicle manufacturer after learning and failing from that. But I wonder if there'll be a similar over hubris on the expansion of going zero to one and a slight sort of, I don't know what it is, but I just, part of me is being very cautious about how this battery technology gets hits the market, gets implemented. And I love the way that Elon and his team really phrase that. And, you know, I've been bugging Elon nonstop on Twitter about like, when's the first 4680 cell going to come out? What's the first car? Plaid Model S. Like I, I've been saying being wrong on Plaid Model S forever. Um, so I think they're kind of smart to, to downplay it. I guess this is what, it's back to my first question, which is you said they're just telling you the truth or what they think. But I don't know. I'm just like, like commercializing this from lab to millions of cars seems like there's going to be a hiccup they don't think of. Yeah, there's now bear in mind that they've been working on this for probably eight years. Uh, I'm, they might have even mentioned this at Battery Day, but they've been working on this for quite a while. If there are parts of the process where there's a hiccup, they can, there's certain parts that they can leave out. Like for me, the highest risk in terms of the battery overall is that high loaded silicon anode. I think laser patterning those tabless electrodes and folding them over, I think they've got that down. Um, they clearly have all the, the vehicle manufacturing and casting uh, parts of things down. What else? The cathode, I, I think that's that's a shoe in as, as long as you can you know, hire somebody from the industry that has some experience um, and you've proven your flow sheet to work, I think that's fine. The silicon, the risk that it, it poses is when you have all that expansion and contraction going on, typically a, a battery isn't quite that dynamic because maybe it'll expand, you know, two to 3% when it's charging and discharging. But when you get something that it's ex expanding, I don't know, say 10% when you have a high loaded silicon anode, they, they say 400%, but I don't think they're going to go with 100% uh, silicon anode. I think it's going to be mixed in with graphite and maybe they're looking at 20 to 30% silicon, but still overall, um, taking into account engineering and things like that, there's still going to be quite a bit of expansion and contraction there. And that's, a big risk and I hope they've fully vetted that. I think that might be part of the reason why, if you notice the uh, 4680 cell, the, the center core of that cell is quite large and that might be part of the reason why that center core is so large is to account for that expansion of, and contraction of the silicon. Wow, that's fascinating. And yeah. it, uh, you know, thinking about when Tesla gets this implemented, let's say they kind of like are able to commercialize it and everything goes well. I was even thinking of what I was said. I was like, they have hiccups. Like, what the hell am I talking about? I don't know. You know, I'm sure they've tested the hell out of this thing. Because even though Tesla gets a lot of crap for moving fast and like, I don't know, I feel like they have a, re a reputation for rushing things. Like they actually really don't. Like they really, really take their time to make sure that like Nissan Leaf and the Bolt rushed out battery tech out the door. And that's why the range degradation is horrible and the range sucks and the specs are garbage. Tesla doesn't rush things out the door. They really make sure it's going to be perfect. And so when we get this sell, whether it's 2022, 20, 20, 25, like let's get the, let's get, you know, me as an investor, me as a customer, you know, this is really exciting from a specs of a vehicle perspective. We can get a 600, now we know how they're getting that 600 mile range Cybertruck, the 600 mile range Roadster, you know, our charging feeds speed's going to be faster. You know, can you walk us through what Tesla can do with this technology in terms of like vehicle, you know, range, price, specs? Yeah, uh, I have uh, some some thoughts there that I, I, I think uh, <laughs> I think people will appreciate. First, to cover off your your comment about hiccups, 
I absolutely believe there's going to be hiccups in, in the back end. There's going to be tough challenges that they need to solve on a daily basis, but they have the engineers to do that. Now, on the public-facing front, will there be hiccups and will, will we see delays? Well, the thing is, they've been kind of cagey about how, that they're, how they're going to roll this out into which vehicles, and I think that's on purpose. Yeah. Because uh, what I think good. is, if you, if you develop the supply chain, would you be totally reliant on one thing? Hell no, you wouldn't be. You'd, as Elon said in the earnings call, they, um, they're prepared for the entirety of 2021 to use uh, the, the, the cells that they currently use. Uh, yeah, did you pick that up on there? Yeah, yeah, like they so, don't need their 4680s to come in in 2021 yet. So to me, that's another yeah. clue that the 100 gigawatt 2022 number is an end of year run rate, mm. even though they said yeah. in 2022. You're picking up the same cookie crumbs that I am. I'm going, uh, how do I, because they've given us a lot of different bits and pieces and how, how do you pull this together? And I think the earnings call for me really helped uh, solidify um, how things will look. I think they are ideally, ideally targeting Actually, I thought that I had this morning, and this goes back to what was said in the earning call, is they're going to use the Cato Road line as a flywheel. As they ramp up in each place, they're going to use that as the flywheel. Okay, so Giga Berlin, say when that factory's built, maybe the battery cell line will be built at the same time, but it's going to have low yield rate. It's going to time, take time to build that up. So maybe the first uh, Model Ys that come off the line in Berlin are going to have the 4680 cell. Um, but they're going to be relying heavily on the cells that are being imported from Cato Road. So, all right, so they get the Model Y up and running in Berlin. Now, later in the year, you have the Cybertruck releasing. I think that Cybertruck that's going to be have the lower range is potentially going to be using um, the, the 2170 cells from Giga Nevada. Potentially, I could because see that. Yeah. It, you know, because it's only a 250 mile range vehicle, they don't need something huge. And the way they've structured it, they built this vehicle like a Lego now, where you have the casting on the front, the casting on the rear, and then you have uh, the floor panel where the batteries are. So, okay, at any point we can just swap in and out that structural battery. Potentially, there may be more to it than that. I may be oversimplifying it. The Cybertruck is a unique beast because it's. Um, it's, it's got an exoskeleton, so I don't know how all that factors in. Regardless, say they do start using the, the 4680 cell for the 250-mile range vehicle. Well, at that point, the line in Berlin should be have a decent yield rate. And at that point, they can start um, diverting the cells from Cato Road to the Texas facility while they support the ramp of the Cybertruck. Fascinating. I love this insight, this flower. Keep going. <clears throat> yeah, so... Those are my thoughts for now. I'm not going to fully know what my opinion is until I've done my video on this because I really need to plot out everything that was said and make sure all of it jives. And that's generally what I do is take all these bits and pieces and make sure that um, I thread the needle the best that I can with all these different facts that I have. On the what could we potentially see, see that surprises people? Yes, the come on, yeah, let's go. So <laughs> the high-loaded silicon anode. Typically in a battery, you have those shelves like Elon was talking about. And those shelves, shelves fill up with lithium on the cathode and anode. Well, that process is, it generates a lot of resistance. And uh, from the perspective of, of an atom, these shelves are like kilometers deep. It takes a while to travel in and out because the atom is so small and the structure is so big. Well, then you have silicon where not only are these silicon particles smaller, 
but it's 3D. So you can, um, those lithium ions can attach to that silicon particle and be stored as part of, of the silicon crystal um, in a three-dimensional manner. So there's a lot more access for the ions. And on top of that, the silicon allows for a thinner anode because it's much more energy dense. So there's a, whole, a lot more surface area to the amount of volume in that anode. Basically what I'm saying is you can get ions in and out of that high loaded silicon anode much more quickly than you can out of a typical anode. Well, that is what governs your charge rate. And I think that's what Drew was saying at the earnings call when he was saying, well, the, the limiting factor for charge rates is actually lithium plating. Well, here's a potential solution is your high loaded silicon anode. So I've looked at comparable batteries with those types of silicon loadings and there's a complexity, but I'll get to the complexity in a moment. You, you'd be able to fast charge probably twice as fast as you can with a current Tesla battery cell. For the first 80%. The first 80%, that's when the, uh, the silicon is absorbing all that lithium. And then the last 20%, that's when it goes, okay, we're going to start intercalating into those graphite structures now. So you kind of have a tiered approach where your charge rate goes boop, boop. Do you have any questions? Because I'm throwing a lot at you. This is highly- No, I love it. Stuff. I was going to ask you, I was like, ions, da, da, da. are you talking about V4 supercharging? I think he's going to talk about V. That's what oh, you mentioned. Yeah. So oh. I'm like, okay, they could have a new super. I already think the supercharging V3 is like fast enough. But hmm. uh, I, anyway, I, that's, a, that's so cool. Keep going. I think that's what they're planning for. I think like if you can double the charge rate, you're looking at a 4C charge rate, which is, you know, like a 15 minute charge rate. And this might matter and, more for the uh, the semi truck. Sorry to cut you off, but that, that yeah. now I'm just clicking in my head. Like, okay, who cares about charging vehicles faster? We what we really need this tech for is that 4680 with high nickel in the semi truck. That's when we're going to be really juicing it with the charge. Yeah, and and that's what I was going to say. And that people have asked me in the past about charge rates. Oh, the batteries. Don't focus on the batteries in terms of the charge rate. You should really focus on the the charger, um, because. Say you, uh, you have a battery that can accept a charge rate in a minute, which we're not going to get. Let me be clear. We're not going to get a battery that charges in a minute. Um, but uh, in order to support a one-minute charge rate, you'd need, uh, let's see here, like 4,200 uh, kilowatts of power in order to, uh, to, to charge a battery that quickly for like a, a Model Y or something like that. So um, you need to have the charging infrastructure there in order to take advantage of the high charge rate for the batteries. So yeah, I think these two things go hand in hand. Now, to be clear, I do think, as I said earlier, that the high-loaded silicon anode is the thing the Tesla is probably the most likely going to have issues with when rolling out these 4680 cells. The way that they can deal with that is they can slowly increase the amount of silicon in the battery. They, they, they don't have to just jump into like a 20 or 30% silicon loading. They can go... All right, currently, I think they're at about 5%. Maybe, hey, they'll go up to 10% and then 15% and then 20 They could slowly roll that out in order to protect themselves. Because as you were saying earlier, there is a risk with all these things that they're doing at once. And I'm sure that they have mechanisms in the place, in place in the background in order to make sure they don't have um, a Samsung moment where they have batteries going up in flames. Uh, the, there's ways to get around that um, uh, to accelerate the, the progress of change while maintaining safety. 
Yeah, and, and the word that I kept thinking of when you were talking there is the mega chargers, because that's something I've been like, okay, your charging dictates, you know, the semi truck's fine, but it's useless if we don't have this mega charger network. And so that is what I was always curious. And I remember like even in 2018 Q1 call when I asked Elon, like, so is the semi of new battery tech or what? He's like, well, we could do it with the current tech, but, and he doesn't say there's going to be new tech, but there is. And then you hear JB and it's like, well, we haven't even thought about the mega chargers. And it's like, so I'm really, the more and more I've thought about the semi truck and, and it's like, is it as much about batteries or is it much about which mega chargers they're building and how many spots those have? Like those are the kind of clues and you just, that insight you gave just about, so I'm really, I'm, I'm waiting for the, the, you know, that article first mega charger location coming under construction. Um, and then that'll probably, maybe that'll have some of this new V4 4680 charger, you know, secret sauce. Yeah. Um, and I think the mega charger, what they're talking about is clearly something that's capable of over a thousand uh, kilowatt uh, charge rate. <clears throat> even if they use their current chemistry for the semi, I think that the charge rate would be just fine. I don't think that they need the fast chargeability um, because so, so that's a huge amount of power. Say, say if you want a semi to charge with uh, a one megawatt hour pack and you want it to charge in uh, 30 minutes, you would need uh, uh, a 2000 kilowatt charger. So they really need uh, some massive charging in infrastructure to even support a normal battery. Now, in order to support the fast charging capability for a semi, you'd be looking at, I don't know, five to 10,000 kilowatts of power or five to 10 megawatts of, hour, uh, of power, basically, which is a small power plant just to charge a semi battery in, in a in uh right fast and charging I, yeah that's like it's gonna be a lot harder to build those small power plants than it is kind of the the batteries of the cars so that's yeah. or, you know um okay so we're, we're running out of time and i'm like so so curious so you know to, what they really announced that i thought was is a battery skunk works division it's not the 4680 cell it's not the selfie casting it's tesla has launched a battery skunk works that is just a powerhouse of innovation in this space and yes the twenty five thousand dollar model 2 is is an amazing you know result of this new technological breakthrough but i'm extrapolating that tail further and i'm saying you know i'm invested in tesla because i think they're electrifying everything my question to elon planes boats boring company loops you know, flying cars, whatever you want to call it. I think planes and cargo ships and boats are really what start to become on the table as very possible within five to seven years based on the trajectory of this pricing. And so Elon and his team won't talk about the Tesla airplane, but I'm like, you guys just showed me the battery skunk works that I already know is working on that battery that's going to go in that plane. So, so what do you want me to do, Elon? I can't not shut up about it because you, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're triggering a lot of things for me. Clearly, <laughs> I'm getting excited. I could I could do this for another hour. Unfortunately, I have a, I have a work meeting, but we still probably have. Uh, I could probably show up to that meeting a little bit late, so maybe. Uh, <laughs> All right, okay. I don't want to waste time. Though. Let's go. Airplanes. Okay. Airplanes. All right, so airplanes. What I think is going to happen in order to have an airplane, you need that high loaded silicon anode with fast charging capabilities. Because when a jet is accelerating into takeoff, it needs a super fast discharge rate. And you couldn't do that with current batteries. Even if you get the energy density up on current batteries, uh, you need that uh, fast charge and discharge rate because you need that, oof, you need that power to Ludicrous get Ludicrous you know. mode, basically, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? Like, like, because, and I know that does hurt the battery. Like, when you said mm -hmm. ions, moving ions, we're not talking about charging. Mm -hmm. We can talk about drawing power. So, that's mm -hmm. what you're talking about in this case is it yeah. won't even be plugged in, but we'll it, this, it will need to accommodate that faster, like, power transfer, which, yeah. Interesting. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. Sorry, yeah, there's, keep going. There's, there's a guy in, uh, I think it's 
oh God, I'm going to mess it up, but it's Stanford or MIT where he's done, he's crunched a lot of the numbers on this and told us how much energy it's going to take for what range and uh, how much power density, how quickly you need to get power out of those batteries. So you need, you know, four to 500 uh, kilowatt hour battery, uh, sorry, four to 500 watt hours per kilogram. And then on top of that, you need to be able to get that energy out of the battery extremely quickly. So I think we're definitely gonna have that, uh, the capability within about five years. Elon's goal is, is, is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. So I think he's gonna remain focused on vehicles, semis, et cetera, the, th the things that uh, um, are the low hanging fruit. But I think in about 2025, he's gonna to put together a special crack team to start designing the supersonic VTOL jet because it takes about five to 10 years to bring a jet from the research phase all the way through all the regulatory uh, approvals because that's where the difficult part is, the regulatory approval. And then I think 2030 to 2035, I think that's when we can probably expect to see uh, uh, an e-super VTOL as I like to call it. Wow, so 2030, we're going to Mars and we're getting the VTOL jet. I'm can't come soon enough okay and cargo ships now you're making me think like cargo ships they don't need that rapid power draw like what if they just go slow you know maybe that <laughs> is almost a sooner you know and there's actually like they're not regulated because they're in the ocean i've been looking into a lot of just like things and i just had this design in my head of like a moonshot monday if somebody could render this for me or like come send me a, a thing of it i'd love to make a moonshot of like the cyber tesla cargo ship with just crazy solar panels and there's no space so you literally have solar panels that deploy you have this 4680 cell it just is like it would just look like and i'm like oh my god like can we start working on this like so so that's what i yeah do you have any thoughts on I, oh yeah I, I'm, I, I'm i'm having to hold my tongue here so there's a new company i think it's called ocean bird or something like that but basically uh over the years as all these um emissions regulations have come into play and as uh shipping companies have had to reduce their costs. They slowly uh, decrease the speed that these boats travel. Well, you know what speed they're traveling at now? They're traveling about the same speed as the sailing boats did like 100 or 150 years ago. So what people are saying is, why don't we just put sails back on them and then use a hybrid system of sails along with batteries? But they wouldn't be the types of sails that you see on a typical sailing ship that are like fabric. What it'd be is these straight up and down posts that are scooped like an airplane wing, and then they retract and expand um, and shift back and forth to catch the wind. So yeah, look it up. It's like Ocean Bird or something okay. like that. And what if we go even further and these these uh, autonomous things are like massive batteries with just shoot out solar panels and can like deploy and charge and have power and then re-drive to somewhere and deploy that power. And you have autonomous power stations that are floating across our oceans. Like, I don't know. I don't even know if that's a thing, but like when I, I'm like, Oh, there's so many like just insane possibilities for this, this skunk works, you know? Mm -hmm. I think what they're do, probably going to do rather than building like ocean waypoints, because I see what you're saying. You have like these artificial islands that are just basically power storage Creating power. Yeah. for the boats. But I think they'll probably wait until they, particularly if you can combine the wind power along with the battery power, um, just, you know, when it's windy out, use the wind and then just recharge the battery. Because, I mean, you could coat those towers with uh, uh solar cells and you could yeah. coat the surface of the ship with solar cells and like it's windy you catch the wind you catch the sun you repower the batteries and you keep going so i don't know there's uh it looks like we do have the potential to make a ship 
that can do transatlantic journeys with like a, a hybrid sail slash battery system. So I think you're on the right track. And wow, like if you can, maybe try to get the uh, the CEO of Ocean Bird or whatever it's called, have yeah. him on, talk to him. Because like, it's something I want to do, but I have a stack of interviews lined up. Uh, well, as soon as I get caught up on battery day. There's something else. You mentioned the skunk works. Yeah. <clears throat> they absolutely have a skunk work and it's been running for, like I said, like five, 10 years, something like that. I don't know if you know of this analyst, but her name was Andrea James and she's yeah. one of the best. Tan- okay. Now I don't know if you ever saw the interview that David Lee did with her, but she said that they actually gave her a tour of this secret facility that they have. And she said, she almost cried when she saw what they're doing. She's like, you people don't realize what you guys are doing here. She said she was nearly crying because what she saw was so amazing. I really want to know what she saw. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, wow. for instance, that the batteries that they have, uh, the machines that they have, the arms are moving on them so quick that they've had to change them from steel to carbon fiber because, you know, they're going so fast that when they'd snot, uh, stop, they'd snap. So you need something lighter weight and stronger because it's, it, it's insane what they have. And wow. Okay. I'm like so many thoughts. Like if the power plant doesn't float, maybe we can put it on land. We don't need to constrain the space. So now we can use those iron 4680 cells. Tesla's already making the government of Australia more money than they know what to do with, with that big battery already positive ROI to balance the grid. Now we get these batteries. We didn't even talk about, we're just talking about vehicles. To me, this is also the grid was in the bag validated. You give us all these costs and efficiency improvements. The grid just, we're even more of a home run. On, on on stabilizing the grid, right? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm having a lot of thoughts too. This is a, a it's one of those conversations that just keeps get wi- wider and wider because there's so many so many ideas to cover. One thing that I just had, I was thinking about. Well, Tesla is already pr- providing battery packs and solar panels to a lot of these uh, islands that are in the middle of nowhere. What if those islands said, okay, well, we got a little bit of spare power now. Why don't you just stop your ship at our island? Uh, on the way to your waypoint, particularly in the Pacific, where it's such a large journey. The Atlantic, I think we have the technology to cover the Atlantic with a battery-powered ship, but the Pacific is a whole different story. But the Pacific is also loaded with islands like uh, Tokelau, Hawaii, uh, Polynesia, Malaysia, all these island chains where there's there's places to stop and fuel up. So, What yeah. if we had like, like battery blimps chilling that like deploy down or like floating island, like a floating <laughs> island of superchargers that... So, I don't know. Anyway, I'm. Thank you so much for joining, Jordan. Like this has been epic. I'm gonna let you run. Uh, I we got to collab again because I, I had so much fun doing this. And congrats, dude. Like you called Battery Day so perfectly. It's you know when they say like Wall Street didn't get it, everyone didn't get it. That like the tiny little retail guy got it. It was you, and that's why Drew follows you on Twitter. And it's just mind boggling to like the way you called the bigger cell, the tablets, like seriously, dude, congrats. Cannot wait to follow your channel. I don't even need to pitch people to subscribe because they'll figure that out. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time, dude. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. It was, it was a good chat. I'm I'm pumped for the rest of my day. So uh, have a great later. work call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Catch you later.